Welcome to the show, folks. This is the crossover. I'm Dan Clark, and I'm joined as always by my trusty co-host here, Sean Keating. Greetings, and welcome to summer. We are rocking. It's hot in the middle of a heat wave as we record this. It's three days of ninety-plus degree temperature. Sean. Yeah, I'm I'm sick of it. We need some <laughs> rain, and we need to cool down a little bit. Cool our soup. Today on the show, we have Dr. Sindra Kampoff, who is a professor of sports psychology at Minnesota State Mankato. You can find her on Instagram at Sindra Kampoff. You can find her on Twitter at mentally underscore strong. Um, She's on the radio in Mankato. She's got a great book, Beyond Grit, that you're going to want to check out and it was just a heck of a conversation. I would say if you had a notepad, get it out. There's going to be five or six golden nuggets that you're going to want to throw into your notebook and take home with you. Yeah, and uh, if you want to check out more of her verbal musings, is that what is that a good phrase? Uh, you can find her podcast uh, on Apple Podcast. It's the High Performance Mindset Podcast. She's a few hundred episodes in, so she knows what she's doing. Uh, if you want to give us some love, uh, you can head on over to a couple places. You can go to Instagram at the crossover.podcast. Send us a, send us a DM or give us a like or let us know what you think of the show. Um, and as always, we much appreciate it if you head over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a, a rating, a review. Uh, subscribe and um, that's the best way you can help us. I've had a lot of people text or I see out in public and they, they tell me about the podcast, but if you go and rate and review, it really helps us a ton. We'd appreciate it and just keep on listening and thank you for listening. And we look forward to bringing you today's episode from Dr. Kampoff. It's going to be a good one. Enjoy folks. Welcome to the crossover. Yeah, here we go. Um, Yeah. And, I mean, maybe you can give a little bit of, of background on how you got to where you are, but I mean, I was I was reading your book uh, a little bit, and the first thing that stood out to me was that that story about how you know you ran the Boston Marathon, and I was like, wow, that's impressive. And then I kept reading, I was like, oh my god, it was the year of the Boston Marathon bombing. And you go on to talk about how that was the moment, you know, that that made you really shifted into that next higher gear or whatever you want to call that. And I'm curious as to like, what are, what are the things that changed for you after that moment? Like, what did you do differently? And then on top of that, I mean, is it possible to have those, you know, gear shifting moments without a terrible tragedy or like a seismic, you know, event that really shakes your ground? Because I mean, every time I've, heard stories of people it's always something you know tragic or you know life-changing that allows them to to reach that higher level and i wish there was a way we could just you know inject that into people without having to make them go through those terrible situations yeah great question dan so i would definitely say that was the moment that did change things for me so it was in 2013 
And uh, before that race, I was uh, spending most of my time at Minnesota State Mankato as a college professor and uh, publishing research in articles that I don't really know if anyone read, <laughs> but that was kind of my focus. And, um, you know, I think after that moment, I realized that I was playing small. And to me, that meant like just kind of holding back. And when I had an idea, I um, didn't necessarily move forward with it. I thought of all the reasons I couldn't do it or why it wasn't meant for me. And it was that moment where, I mean, I didn't know if we were going to get home. You know, I was blessed that I was with my husband that day. So, you know, we were with our friends and we were, we were together with each other. But it was like, you know, there's a moment where, you know, do you wonder if this is the last day in your life? And um, I just remember sitting in that hotel room asking myself, you know, what difference do I make and why do I do what I do? And, you know, why am I still here? And so I feel like it was a gift that day to kind of wake me up to, to my life, really, and to what I think that is my purpose and my calling. Um, I don't think you have to be in those moments of, of tragedy to experience what I did. Where, But I do think a couple of things. Like, first, when adults are asked the most important day in their life, it was a day that they had to overcome significant adversity. So, you know, the, this, the, these moments really do help us take a step back and say, you know, am I, am I, am I on the right path? I think during COVID, um, more and more people are coming to me, like searching for their purpose. And, you know, I'm starting to do more coaching with people who are trying to find their purpose. And I think that moment just gave me an awakening to what my purpose was um, or really what it is, but you can cultivate that. You don't have to be in a a big tragic moment to understand what your purpose is and, and connect with it every day. Yeah. It's just, uh, it, it feels like, boy, that tragic moment sure boosts you into that mindset. Yeah. I, I mean, I've read this in a, in a number of different places. I feel like when you have these, these moments, it's almost like a, a unique time with just the, the chemistry of your brain and just where you're at to reset and to kind of realign yourself. And I'm sure, I mean, you obviously experienced that with yourself, but is this something that you've seen with a lot of the people that you've worked with? Like um, these things that like, you know, as a, as a coach myself, I see things that like, you know, sometimes we're like, they just got to figure it out on themselves. They got to have, you know, maybe they're going to have to fail. Maybe they're going to have to go through something. Is that something that's pretty common in, in when you're dealing with uh, coaching players and, and different people? Absolutely. So, you know, the way uh, my book is called Beyond Grit and you know, grit really means having passion, perseverance for your very long-term goals. And that's the definition, the academic definition by a woman named Angela Duckworth. I just use hers because it's, I know it's valid and uh, that's where most of the research is using that definition. But we did a study last year at Minnesota State um, where we interviewed pro athletes who were either like still a pro athlete or had just retired. And we asked them how they developed their grit. And believe it or not, one thing we found, we didn't really expect to find this, but we found that all of them had overcome significant adversity to get to where they are today. So like one actually had cancer herself. Another person, right, talked about a death of a close loved one. Um, another one talked about a seizing ending injury. And they, but they all said that if it wasn't for that event, they wouldn't have become a pro athlete. So I just want us to like take that in, right? That if it wasn't for that event, they wouldn't have gotten to where they are today. And so I think that also shows you that, you know, to get to where 
you know, the best are, are at in terms of sport, that it's not just talent. It's really how we respond to these moments of adversity. And I, I've been in lots of situations where uh, one in college where I didn't respond <laughs> in a really gritty way. You know, instead I took in the failure as like, I'm a failure and, um, you know, what's wrong with me. And so now I've learned to see that failure is, is a great teaching tool. Um, and it's really about, it's not an event, right? Like failure is not an event it, or it, it is an event. It's not a person. It's just something that we do, but it's not who we are. And the more we distance ourselves from that, I think we protect our confidence too. Yeah. I mean, it's always how you choose to, to frame that failure. I mean, like you said, you can just curl up in a ball and say like, I am a failure. And I mean, I'm probably been guilty of that in my life and I'm sure, you know, millions of people have. And so what do you, what do you think it is that allows someone to like, to break that cycle? Um, because I mean, as a teacher, I know yeah. every, every semester, a new crop of kids comes in and it, it seems like almost like clockwork, there are going to be, you know, those few students that who need to see the light the most and they just, they are putting on their sunglasses, like they won't, they refuse to see it. So, I mean, how do you get as a teacher, how do you get those, those students who are the most unmotivated to get motivated and, you know, to, to, to try to get them to realize that the cycle can be broken? Is there a psych psychological approach that breaks that? Well, first of all, I think that we need to be taught how to fail. Um, and I think about, you know, my experience in sport, I didn't really have a coach teach me how to move on quickly from a mistake or, you know, I was a cross country athlete and a track runner and pretty decent in high school. I, I won the state meet. And so I got a college scholarship to run uh, division one. Um, and so I had a lot of talent, but it was in high school. I was really successful. And then I got to college and I could have been as successful as I wanted, <laughs> but I kept on getting in my own way. And I remember this one race, I just kept on playing uh, in, uh, you know, playing, playing, replaying in my head. And I thought that it was going to motivate me by like thinking about it more, but it actually continued to eat at my confidence. So in the book, I have a, a strategy I call learn, burn, return. And so it rhymes, learn, burn, return. And the first step is just to take a step back and work to see the failure as objective, right? Meaning like you are not the failure, your failure is not a person, it's an event, right? And, and distance yourself from it, something that you did, not who you are. And just ask yourself, what did I just learn from that? And I, I like to use a, a, a kind of a prompt, just like next time I will. And so when I'm talking to teams, that's what I'll say is like, okay, and I'll have them repeat it after me, next time I will, because you can't do anything about the past, right? Like we can't redo that play, but we can take something from it. And uh, we don't wanna keep on replaying it in our mind. There's very few athletes that I know that actually that motivates them. Maybe Michael Jordan. Did you see the last dance? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> motivated Michael Jordan, but he's the only person I know. <laughs> he's not normal. Failure a lot motivated him. <laughs> um, and then we want to just, okay, we want to learn. And then we want to burn. And burn means let it go. And you want to literally move on that fast, right? Like you want to have some kind of strategy or tool to move on very quickly and then can you return? Can you return in a, in it with great body language, right? Um, with good positive self-talk. And I actually think we want to teach our athletes to protect their confidence and their, our students to protect our confidence, even when we fail. 
um, because then that just continues to help us move forward and stay gritty. So that's very interesting. Protect your confidence. Um, as a coach, I think the thing that I've kind of learned, you know, out of many things, but in the last couple of years is just about players, how important their confidence is. And, and, and in high school, at least how many players just lack confidence. And when you see kids, um, kind of that light bulb go on where they start to not care what other people think when they start to are okay with their mistakes and they have that quick mistake response and able to to get over it. You start to see them all of a sudden burst with confidence. And um, it's, it's interesting to see then there's some kids that can't even handle right any failure, so they'll avoid failure at all costs. And as you're dealing with those types of kids, how do you encourage um, players, athletes to want to fail like like and understand that it is a positive thing because we know if we just stay in our kind of bubble our comfort zone then we're not going to get better and, and improve how do, how do you kind of get kids to get over that hurdle I think first is to normalize it and uh you know maybe even celebrate it I was listening to this interview with Sarah Blakely um, I don't know if you know who she is, but she's the founder of Spanx. You know, it's like the undergarment <laughs> that people wear. <laughs> oh, yeah. My wife knows about those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think she was named as like Forbes first self-made female billionaire. But actually at the dinner table, her dad would have a conversation every night and they had to share their failures. And he would be disappointed if you didn't um, if you didn't have anything to share. So she re learned really early on that failure was actually an opportunity. And so she was selling um, copiers door to door and came up with this idea of Spanx. And, you know, now, uh, well, you know, <laughs> uh, first self-made female billionaire. You know? For sure. um, but I think a couple of things, be so we can celebrate that, we can talk about it openly. And, um, but I think as coaches, we need to also um, make sure that we're developing an environment and a culture that produces what would be what we call like psychological safety, that athletes feel like they're not ridiculed or punished when they make a mistake that it is a safe environment that they can make a mistake. And so what, what we can do as coaches is we can pull athletes out, right? And when they miss a free throw or they make a mistake. And I think just be careful how you do that because you might be, right, unconsciously creating um, this fear of failure. And uh, we can all experience it, right? Um, and there's, you know, I think, I think knowing that it's a natural tendency is like our, 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 um, our, I don't know if you've, you've ever heard this, but our, I would say as humans, we have a negativity bias. And what that means is we hold negative events. We hold them on, like they store more quickly from our short-term to long-term memory and they linger longer. So we need strategies to be able to remind ourselves of the great moments that we've had to intentionally build our confidence. And confidence is something that is a decision. It is not something that just happens to us. We can intentionally cultivate our confidence. But it's so hard. And it's so hard. And as a as a parent of little children that we I got twin four and a half year old boys and then a little nine month old girl. And with, oh with the twins, it's just like 
and and I mimic it again to coaching, but there's there's times where I've seen players come through at the varsity level that I know when they were younger were coached very hard, and they it it's it really took a toll on their confidence. You can see what I call it is is leaving scars, and yeah. um, as a parent and as a coach and as a teacher, like it's 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 so easy again to focus on the negative, right? What Johnny didn't do right instead of promoting that positivity. Um, what would your advice be to, you know, I've, you've heard the different ratios, right? Say three positives to one negative or whatever, you know, there's different types of strategies out there, but like, I find it really hard as a parent, especially of, you know, you want your kids to do the right thing and, you know, make mom happy and put stuff back. And it's so hard to um, not focus on those negatives. It is really hard. And I think what's hard about it is, is that as humans, we are programmed to see the negative, right? And I think just realizing that, that we're programmed to see what our kids are doing wrong instead of what they're doing right. So I think what we can do is celebrate when they have done things right, you know, and, and also to know what the research would say is that when I positively reinforce somebody for good behavior, that that's more likely that they're going to continue that long term than if I punish them, right? And so, I mean, for my kids, you know, I'm thinking about your your um, four-year-old twins, right? You know, good job for putting that toy away <laughs> or, you know, just like giving them a high five or something like that. Um, that seems really small, but that does help. And I think we will also want to help our, our, our kids like see the good. Um, you know, I have two boys, they're 13 and 11 now. They just turned uh, 13 and 11 during like, last month. And um, what I find is that one of them is so hard on themselves, right? Like, and he's always thinking of all the things that he did wrong. So we have to also help him see what he did right, because that's just his natural tendency is to notice what's wrong. Well, I mean, it's almost like we're fighting against, I mean, you said that, you know, the negative reaction like automatically goes to the long-term memory without even making a pit stop. So it's like you're fighting against yeah. this natural order of things. And, you know, how, like how many more times would you have to do a positive thing for it to actually, you know, store in their memory? Like, oh, you know, when I do this, I am given a hug and told that my dad's proud of me or my yeah. mom's Which is why, you know, assistant coaches and, and your spouse is so important because for someone else to step in and say, hey, but, you know, coach, we also – played really good defense up you know, let's not just only focus on the negatives and have someone to kind of, you know, bring you back to, uh, to ground you a little bit. Yeah. Um, so what the research shows, Dan, is that we, for a positive event to move from our short-term to long-term memory, we have to hold it into our awareness for 12 seconds. So what that would mean is like, think about when you go on vacation and you just like you're at the beach or wherever and you're like, Oh, this is so beautiful. Right? Like, that you're, you're not even trying and that goes to your long-term memory, right? But it's these small moments where um, at the beginning of COVID-19 and like, you know, our quarantine, we were playing hide and go seek in the dark a lot in our basement. And so it's like, and I just sat in the dark and just kind of took it into awareness. And I'm like, how awesome is this? Because normally we'd be going from thing to thing to thing, you know, sport to sport. And here we are on a Wednesday night playing Hide and go seek in the dark. <laughs> Are you good at hide and go seek in the dark? I was very good. Yeah. <laughs> right, I'm very good. I'm picturing, like, I'm picturing like, 
you know, my son does something great. I hold him tight <laughs> 12 seconds long. He's like, let go. And I whisper, you're going to remember this forever. <laughs> <laughs> Seems a little creepy, but that's the psychological uh, evidence that supports it. I'll have to explain that one to him. I'm going to have to set a timer for 12 seconds. <laughs> let go, dad. Yeah. This is important. I'm proud of you. That's awesome. I'm also thinking about Sean. I know you said that like the three to one. Um, I have worked with Gustavus football for a while doing mental training with them and coach Haugen, man, I like that guy so much. And he would actually at the end of practice, bring all the players together and say, okay, what's three things that went great today? What's one thing we can continue to work on? So it wasn't like what's one thing that went bad, but what's like one thing that we can, you know, move our attention forward on. So I think, you know, if we do that as coaches, it also helps us re continue to reinforce the things that are going well. And I think, you know, I think that those principles in coaching and in sports, I really think that in the teaching profession, if we started to, you know, apply that to what happens in the classroom, you know, you, maybe you end class by saying that same thing or, you know, some of your policies regarding assignments, you know, reflect the psychological evidence that if you get, you know, you give people the chance to redeem themselves, they, you know, they, they are more likely to do so versus, you know, oh, you didn't turn that in, that's a zero, like game over, you know, they shut down. It, it, and I think that in our profession, I don't think that those things are widely accepted. I would say it's probably maybe a quarter of the teachers would, you know, use those practices versus yeah, those are some of the archaic educational, you know, right. And I think that I think that if if all these things, you know, did do the the crossover, pun intended, we'll say, but <laughs> I think that would really change things. I mean, imagine the the majority of our of our young people you know being taught these principles and you know forced or not i mean given the opportunity to to go through these exercises how different things could be i think it's i mean i think it's a great world to be a part of if that was the case yeah so so when you're raising your your boys and and going through education and we know you know, there's the state state standards and there's these different courses and subjects, but we all know as parents, we there's certain life lessons we're trying to teach our kids along the way. Um, how are you, how are you as a parent trying to get across and what do you think is really important as you're watching this process of rearing children in today's day and age? What, what do you think is really critical to try to get across to your kids? What are you trying to do every day? I think what's most important is for them to know that you love and that you care about them unconditionally, um, regardless of how they do or if they miss the shot or not, you know. Um, so my tendency is to be more positive. <laughs> um, I like, um, you know, John Wooden, um, who legendary coach at UCLA, basketball coach, right? For the sure. winningest coach in college history. There's a great research study done where researchers followed John Gordon and they, they watched him for like several practices and they coded his behavior. And what they found is that he gave the most instructional advice, right? So it wasn't even advice, but it was like most, the majority of his comments were instructional. So like how to play the game. And then, you know, there was motivational as well. So um, I think what's important as parents and as coaches is like, unconditional love and care, right? Um, and obviously the discipline is really important. 
Uh, but but I think like celebrating the kids' uniqueness as well, you know, not, um, I just think about, I have two boys, really competitive <laughs> and, and like celebrating how they're different, I think also helps them kind of own who they are and uh, continue to help them find who they are. So in your book, you talk about paralysis by analysis, the trap of overthinking. Um, you know, I'm just thinking about this, you know, in the process right now, we're talking about parenting and coaching and I just got done reading um, essentialism by Greg McEwen, which is, you know, just talking about, you know, that whole win philosophy and what's important now. Um, as you go through, I mean, you're busy, right? You're, everyone's busy, but you have a million things you could be doing. Um, how do you break it down and focus on what is essential to you? How do you, when you have so many, I'm sure as your life has gotten more and more um, productive and, and, you know, you had the the, the, the marathon event, and then you just started to take on this and then oh, there's more and more. And when do you stop? How are you trying to filter through your day to day on what's essential for you? Yeah, that's a great question, Sean. I would say like, I think what's most important to me is to care for myself first. You know, if I can't care for myself, I can't care for my family and I can't care for the people that I'm here to serve. So for me, that means like, okay, getting up, going for a run every morning, <laughs> even when I don't want to, right? Because I always feel a lot better. Um, so I, you know, caring for my mind and my body is really important. Um, but I also think like, whatever I say yes to, I say no to something else. And I think as I've gotten busier, like there's been a, a few times where I felt pretty unbalanced, you know, and I don't, I don't know if, what is balance. Sometimes I feel like you know, that can come and go. And sometimes we have to be really feel like we're unbalanced. I bet in the basketball season, it feels kind of chaotic, right? Trying to balance everything. Um, but it's like, whatever I say yes to, I say no to something else. So, you know, it's kind of like if I, if someone asked me to, to let's say, speak to uh, a business or a team at night, well, I'm really saying no to be, a, be my family. Like, is that, is that worth it? Is that worth it to me? right? And um, I've been using that to help guide me. I'm not perfect, but when it was really busy, I just used this guideline of like one night a week, I'm going to be out, right? Doing, doing my work. But more than that, like I'm going to be home. And some, some weeks was, oh shoot, that was two nights, <laughs> you know, okay, reset, uh, be kind to yourself. Cause we do have to be compassionate with ourselves too. And it's hard to like you know, follow our own passion and um, develop our own self and like then serve our families at the same time. So I think um, hopefully that helps people as they're listening is like, okay, whatever I say yes to, I'm saying no to something else. Can I just follow up on taking care of yourself first? Like when and how did you realize that? Oh, well, so um, I think the time I really realized that in a difficult way was so, you know, for several years, I was running a couple of marathons a month or not a month, shoot, not a month, a year. I was like, holy cow. <laughs> oh my gosh, go syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> but like two or three a year. Okay. Not, not a month, <laughs> two or three a year, but I would train, I would run one, I would train, I would run, run one. Right. And then my book came out. And so this was about two and a half years ago. And it felt like that was my marathon, right? And it was just all consuming right away, just trying to figure out where I was going to go once this book came out, what should I be spending my time on? And it was that time period where I got away from running. 
you know, and I felt more stressed. I, I, you know, and I think about, you have to lead yourself first before you lead anyone else, you know, and that means to me, leading myself means that I have to have the mental skills and the tools to be able to be on purpose every day and be able to control and regulate my emotions. And, and leading myself means that I know where I'm going, you know, and I know what my vision is. And then every day I'm doing something to get to that vision. But I have to lead myself before I can lead others. And you think about maybe coaches who get really emotional or angry when they're coaching, right? And that energy just permeates on your team, right? And then you see um, players get really mad and emotional and frustrated, you know, when a ref makes a call they don't agree with. So it's like we have to lead ourselves before we can lead a team, before we can lead our family effectively. And I think that's empowering to know that is like, we have to take care of ourselves. I also think when my boys were born, um, my second, so um, Carter is our oldest and then Blake, they're two years apart. And I felt like when Blake was born, it was also a time where I got super, <laughs> just all consumed with kids and babies and I wasn't taking care of myself, you know? And then that doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help myself. <laughs> Mom's not taking care of herself. <laughs> and so so I'm, I'm curious, I mean, I, I like to, do as you do is and go for a run every or try to go for a run every morning, get myself to do it. What, what does running do for you? Why does, why does that do the trick? I'm curious to know what it does for you. At this point, I feel like running is who I am. You know, I've just been doing it for so long. It's like times where I don't, then I get back at it. I'm like, Hey man, this is just, this is just Syndra. But I think for me, um, during this time period of like being home more, I've been running with my husband. So it's great. Cause like, you know, extra bonding time, but I feel like I get my best ideas on a run. Mm, yeah. you know, I, I, it's the endorphin high. Um, I have this great exercise I call grit. It's called the grit priming exercise and people can download it on the, at this website, beyondgrit.com slash morning. So beyondgrit.com slash morning. And I've been doing it since January 1st. And sometimes I do it on my run. And when I do it on my run, man, I, I get done and I'm like on fire. <laughs> like, okay, let's go. What do I got to work on right now? Because I have all these endorphins. But the, there's four parts. And I encourage everyone to do each of these parts for at least a minute each. But like when I'm running, you know, I kind of let my mind go. And it will mm-hmm. be like three or four minutes where I do each part. So G stands for gratitude. And that means, you know, just they think for at least one minute of all the things you're grateful for, the small things, the big things, even the difficult things like, you know, the Boston Marathon. I'm grateful that I was there. Um, R stands for remember your why or remember why you do what you do to keep yourself fueled and excited. And then I stands for intention. And that means like, you know, direct your mind on like, how do you want to show up that day? How do you want to show up as a parent or a coach or a teacher or, you know, a professional? Um, And I usually use an I will statement there and at least set three of them. And then T stands for talk to yourself. And that means for at least one minute, think about all the great things, you know, that you want to continue to believe about yourself. And your self-talk is so powerful because what you think about yourself, you become. So we can also like, um, we can uh, prime ourselves to think more powerful things about ourselves. So like, let's say if you you don't feel like you're very courageous or you don't feel like you're very confident, also reminding yourself why you should be confident and how you are courageous, continue, continue to help you kind of show up in the world in that way. So 
um, I think we have to be intentional with our self-talk and we have to be intentional with our energy. And that, that's what priming really is, is that you intentionally choose your thoughts and your emotions. And then later on, you know, people will say, wow, I was really struggling in this part of my day. And then all of a sudden, these powerful thoughts that I had in the morning started popping into my mind. Yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, myself included, I can't, I just, I have a hard time doing the, the meditation practice, which is, you know, which is where a lot of people do those, ask themselves those questions. And I'm more of a mover. So, I mean, during those runs, yeah, your mind is able to float. And if you have some intention when you're running, you can really, that's, I, I think that's a great exercise because I mean, just this week, school's out. I don't have any, you know, online learning problems to think about. So I've, I've just kind of been, I've just, my mind has been kind of floating aimlessly. And now hearing you say that I'm really kind of charged up to, to do that on a daily basis. That's really cool. Yeah. Try it. It's going to be awesome, Dan. And then you have to let me know what you think, (laughs) but you could do it while you're running or while you're exercising, but you could also just take, you know, four minutes as you're, you're laying in bed, ready to get up right? And do the same. So what I like about it is it's really practical. You could do driving to work or, you know, you don't have to have your eyes closed, but it also does um, help you start your morning, right? I think about Sean, for your athletes, you know, just even having them do this where they're intentionally choosing their thoughts. I have on the talk to yourself part, I have, um, here, here's my, here's my, um, my statements. These are statements I say to myself every morning. You know, so I've all right. So we know that there's research about um, that if you have pre-planned self-talk. So before a game, let's say you have you've written down the thoughts that you want to have. It helps you have more confidence and it helps you perform at your best because you know what you want to be thinking. You know, so maybe it's like, okay, this is what I want to think after I miss a shot, or this is what I want to think when I get too nervous. You know, so that's why priming yourself is so powerful because you get to choose the thoughts instead of letting. Your thoughts happen by chance and that's never good because it tends to be more negative than empowering. Yeah, I, this is just a flood of emotions right now. But, um, you know, going through COVID, I think it's been interesting on many levels. But one of the things for me was just seeing life slow down and in different ways for every American. But, you know, we've always prided ourselves on, on being super busy and working super hard and, you know, laughing at other countries that take you know, 10 day, two week vacations, holidays, and and those types of things. And one thing that I just keep seeing in all the research and and hearing you talk about is just that time you have to take for yourself to care for yourself and what you're telling yourself. And one of the things that was real powerful for me was last summer, I went and did a coach's retreat in Utah and um, um, Brene Brown's um, research on vulnerability and the story we tell ourselves came up and I use that a lot with my players um, this year about what they're telling themselves after a mistake, what they're telling themselves when, um, you know, they make an error, whatever it might be. And then we tried to reframe that and, and, and correct, you know, with those I can statements and what they're going to tell themselves. And I just feel like so much in life, like we tell ourselves these things that are completely false or you talk about someone being, you know, your son being really hard on themselves and, you know, we can't see that, you know, we can't know what someone's telling themselves. We have to kind of learn that as we go as a parent, as a coach, but how powerful has that been in your research? And and I know you talk about in your book, but just the self-talk and how you could advise somebody on how to change just themselves with that, what they're telling themselves. Oh, such a great topic. 
Um, first of all, we have about 60 to 80,000 thoughts in one day. So I think just knowing that your mind is like constantly chattering can also help you realize that, okay, we also have to slow it down and be intentional with what we're thinking about. Um, I have this um, concept called the truth meter, and this is what it means. It means number one, ask yourself, is this thought true, right? And much of our thoughts are not true. I think what's important to know is that your brain is here to keep you safe. It is not here to help you be a peak performer, <laughs> right? And actually during COVID, it's been great. Like, I don't think we want to eliminate this fear that we have or this like fight or flight, you know, because our brain keeps us safe. Um, we did not go anywhere besides the grocery store for two months. You know, my kids not play with anyone else for two months. It was a long two months, uh, but you know, that kept us safe. We're not sick. Um, so we don't want to eliminate the fear or the negativity. We can't. Um, and I don't think we want to. So number one, just ask yourself, is this thought true? And many of the times it might not be true. And then ask yourself, like, is there a better thought that, you know, well, first of all, is this, is this thought serving me? Is it helping me? And if not, third, is there a better thought that could serve me? And I think really throughout this is no, like you don't have to believe everything that you think. You know, what the best athletes do is they're really intentional with their self-talk. And I don't mean just best athletes, but you know, high performers, they are, they're intentional with this. They've, they've planned it out. They know what they want to say to themselves and they're powerful with like intentionally creating this identity that they want to step into. Right. And, um, I think when I was in college, that's when I really struggled just with like negativity and not believing in myself. And that's what led me to get a PhD in sports psychology and performance psychology because of my own experiences, but I needed something simple. And I saw a sports psychologist, but she was so theoretical that I was like, I don't know what to do. You know, so that, that also makes me super practical, I think. But I just I call these power phrases and they can be statements that start with I will or I can or I am. And just start there, you know, just, OK, what can I say to myself that I know to be true? That's going to help me kind of step into this moment. Maybe it's like I'm strong. I'm confident. I'm bold. I'm courageous. Like whatever's going to help you, but we know that pre-planning that can help you kind of just be at your best in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm just thinking about high school, you know, that who we teach and, and seeing so many kids walk into our building, unfortunately, that, that don't have, you know, don't have that confidence and they don't have that support system to give them that self-belief in themselves and trying to build that up um, through experiences. And I think it's just, you know, it's what, it's what we, we take seriously with our jobs is just like, you know, understanding that, you know, I always tell people about teaching high school is, is, or teaching anywhere in public education. Like you get everybody, you know, like, um, when you're teaching college, when you're in it, you know, if you're a blacksmith or whatever, you're only getting those people that want to do that. You know, when you're in public education, you get every single person that's 12 years old in that, you know, every single kid in your community that's that age. And you're, so you're dealing with all kinds of different kids and, um, it's so important to understand these different strategies. Those are so great. And they're so powerful because they give kids a chance to think positively about themselves. And it's actually a choice. And I think if, as soon as you can empower somebody to realize I can actually choose what I think that that's just so amazing. Yeah. And I mean, I, I can, I'm 
flashbacks of high school are flooding through my head right now of just all the terrible self-talk I would <laughs> say to myself before I went to school in the mirror, you know, like you're worth like you're not <laughs> positive stuff. And it took, you know, I'm, I, I think kids these days are actually at an advantage because they have access to, you know, podcasts and, you know, there's plenty of YouTubers and great information that's totally accessible to them to, to get them to realize that these things matter. They have an impact. There's research that supports it and it's practical. You know, it's not impossible or hard to just tell yourself like you are a, a great person. You're kind. You are kind. You are smart. <laughs> you are beautiful. That's from like the help. I think yeah. that was a good look. That's quote. awesome. I think also realizing that like, it is something we have to do every day. Like, I don't think we can take a day off of training our mind, mostly because of this negativity bias. Um, I can't take a day off of training my mind. And I don't think that I'm different than anyone else, but I have to train it every day. And I think just knowing that, that we can easily get in our own way, that um, you would never talk to a best friend like you talk to yourself, right? Dan, when you were in high school, you would never said that to a best friend. So well, it depends on how good of a friend they were. I might. <laughs> <laughs> My best best friends, I might say that. As yeah, a, no, jokingly, but yeah. Uh, but I think it just you have it has to you have to have daily intention every day. But it's powerful, and it doesn't matter what your background is that you can do this, and it doesn't matter the support that you have around you. You know, I think. Um, but it, this is what's going to lead to your success. No matter where you do, or no matter what path, you have to make sure that you're believing in yourself. So as we, as we start to wrap up, do you see that? I mean, I see this in my line of work with, um, let's just take, for example, COVID. And, and our, we were fortunate to finish our season, I guess, unfortunately, but fortunately before these other teams uh, didn't get to go to state tournaments and things like that. But anyway, when I have had Zoom meetings and I've had different things with my team, um, I just see them starving for connections, starving for that social interaction to be back. When we've done more um, mental health strategies and different stuff throughout my season, I've just seen kids really wanting that and they want, they need someone to lead it. And then, for example, one of the things I started this year at our school was called a Mental Warrior Club, where we met once a week and we just talked about the power of mindset and we referenced your strategies. We talked about different things going on in the world. Um, do you, like, as you talk about your purpose and what you're trying to do with your your mission and your vision right now, do you just see people that are, like, there's such a need for this mental mindset and, and the power of, of what you can do for other people? What's driving you? Um, I see that people more than ever before are open to the concepts that we're talking about. You know, when I, when I started in this field and it was about 20 years ago, it seemed like um, maybe training your mind wasn't as, uh, people weren't as open to it or coaches weren't doing it as much as they are now. But now we have these like high profile athletes who are saying, yep, I train my mind. Yep. I go see a sports psychologist, right. Or I've done this or done this or done that. We've, and we have it in every single sport. So I think that's helping. There's more and more people like me working with pro teams, um, major league baseball, many of those teams have like three or four or five, six sports psychology professionals on staff. You know? So, so it's just, it's, it's, people are accepting it more. I think it's also helpful to know that it, there's nothing wrong with you. If you 
you there and we're just knowing that like we're we're programmed for the negativity there's nothing wrong with you by training your mind or going to talk to somebody that is um you know someone like me in my profession or even a psychologist or counselor there's nothing wrong with you you can always continue to prove your mindset so i think what drives me is um continuing to make these strategies practical I think we need practical things to continue to implement them. And sometimes when we talk about them as such like high level ideas that um, I don't always know how to do it. You know, so, so it's like, I need something simple and practical. And um, that's really what drives me. And um, just to help more and more people like live their best life. You know, there's, there's so many times where I've gotten in my own way and it's like, I don't want other people to feel like that um, and feel like I think in college, I felt like I left some of my potential there. You know, now I, I know it happened for me, not to me. Like it was that difficulty was a, is a gift because <laughs> it led me to be so incredibly passionate about what I do now. But, um, but it's like, you know, I want people to have the strategies that they, particularly during this time period to like deal with the stress and the pressure and the anxiety that you can feel um, from maybe your business not doing very well or having to close down. Um, or like me, my, my business is, man, I've been pivoting and adjusting for the last couple of months like I've never been before. <laughs> so being flexible too is, is you know, help, your mindset helps you do that. Yeah, and there's, a, there's that kind of thought trap where you say, you know, I wish I would have had that mindset before, but, but in fact, you, you can't because if you did, you would yeah. not be that person that you have become. You know, if I did, ha if I did have positive self-talk back, back in high school, I probably wouldn't be sitting here in this room with you right now. And it's this kind of paradox that I, as a history teacher, always like to think of because there's, you know, all throughout history, there's like these little, like these lines that connect back. And, you know, without this thing, this event happening, you can't get you know, this extremely positive thing that happens later. And it's maybe that at first event is a terrible tragedy, but it's a, uh, it's an interesting thought exercise and paradox that exists out there. Or a pandemic. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And there's going to be many positives to come out of this, but um, unfortunately we can't, sometimes we can't see them right in the, right in the moment. Yeah. But, and uh, final, so final question, I'll wrap it up with this. Um, on this show, we tight, we, we, we frequently bring up our little, favorite, you know, psychological research or studies that have kind of blown our minds or, you know, made us reorganize our, our life. So I'm wondering, you know, I'm sure you've come across quite a bit of research and you've done a lot of it yourself, but is there, what is the, what is one that really, you know, cracked your mind open and made you rethink <laughs> the order of the universe or, you know, how, how life operates? Oh boy. There's so many. Yeah, I know. I, I was thinking like this is, she's probably got about a thousand that are just yeah. rolling through her head right now. <laughs> I know mostly because like, you know, I have all these citations going through my mind. <laughs> Scroll your Rolodex. Um, yeah. Can I give you two? Sure. We'd love it. Okay. So, um, probably one of the studies that I rely on the most is, uh, from UK researchers, um, I know their last names are Jones, Jones, and um, I don't remember their other, Connington is the other one, but I call uh, Jones at all. Okay, we'll say that. <laughs> so, um, and now I'm sounding like an academic. <laughs> but <laughs> study 
about, uh, let's see, 13 years ago, where they were actually trying to define what mental toughness was. And they interviewed sports ecologists and world champions. And they, they described mental toughness as a developed edge. So something that we're not born with, but we can develop over time. And then they um, talked about um, all of these different components of, of mental toughness like determination and confidence and being able to respond from failure. So that's one of the ones I use sort of like just a foundational study in my field to help me understand um, uh, mental toughness. The second one I would describe is a study um, that was published in the Harvard Business Review. And when I think about um, just being at our best every day and being happy, um, and particularly during this time where we're spending more time with our family, the study found that uh, 40, about 47% of the time, we are not in the present moment. So we are either thinking about the future or the past. And there's some, sometimes there's some issues with that where in the future we can feel a lot of pressure, be focused on the outcome or the result. In the past, maybe we're ruminating on a mistake or uh, we're you know, feeling frustrated or regretful. And so 47% of the time we are not in the present moment. Like that's mind blowing to me um, that almost half of our time we're not even paying attention to what we're doing and we're not in the here and now. So I think what the amazing thing about that is, is um, being in the here and now and training that present moment focus is how I would describe it. It's something that you can train, the best athletes do. Um, and what they also found is that the people that reported less time in the present also said they were less happy. <laughs> so more time we can spend in the present, the more time we're happy. So it's not only connected to our performance in our job or in sport, but it's connected to our happiness as well. Man, that's powerful. That's like... Yeah, I, I, that's something I realize, and I think a lot of us know, but um, I, I think it's super hard to have that awareness all the time and, and be present, obviously. We've all had that with our kids or in our work or whatever it might be. Um, and, and, you know, I think we've talked a lot about sleep on this show and just how powerful, you know, if you're not getting your sleep, it's tough to be present. It's tough to, tough to function correctly. So um, I know as I've gone through your workbook and, and you talked about making things simple, and, man, you've done – some amazing things with that. Like, I don't know how you come up with all these, <laughs> these phrases and systems, yeah, but it, it is pretty crazy. So thank you so much for what you're doing to, uh, to make our lives as, as coaches and teachers so much easier. And, and we, we've just had a blast having you on the show today. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thank you, Sean and Dan. I'm really happy to be here and thanks for having me.